welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul gives Timothy some great advice regarding faith that applies to each one of us. When life happens, be sure to do this one thing to avoid the shipwrecked effect. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Hey, let me invite you to, to uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're actually going to be in several passages this morning, but this will be the foundational passage and kind of the springboard in 1 Timothy 1. In this book, Paul is uh, writing to Timothy, a young pastor, encouraging him and giving some instructions for him to help him be more effective uh, as, he, as he pastors and, and does what God's called him to do. But I think that everything in this book that he's telling Timothy applies to all of us as believers, especially these couple of verses that we're going to look at um, this morning. 1 Timothy 1, we'll pick it up in verse 18. Paul says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I want to talk about the shipwrecked effect this morning. And here, Paul gives us two word pictures regarding our faith. The first is the picture of holding on to our faith. That word means to, to keep, to maintain, to possess. There's an intensity about it. There's a present tense to it that I'm gonna keep holding on to my faith. The, the word picture, really, if you've seen a, like one of these earthquake movies or something where the earthquake happens and somebody's about to fall in this big chasm and they grab this pipe and they're hanging on to this pipe so they're not stuck down into the chasm, that's the intensity of this word, that they're holding on with everything that they've got. The second word picture is that of shipwrecked faith. And it's the picture of, of, a, of a shipwreck, of a ship that runs into something and it's ruined, it's in shambles, and it's sunk. Later in the book, Paul gives us a couple of more word pictures in regard to this shipwreck idea. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says that the Spirit clearly says that in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This word abandon, it means to leave. And what he's saying is, as the time draws closer of Christ's return, it will become harder for some to hold on to their faith and maintain their faith. It will become easier for some to leave their faith and to abandon their faith because they're gonna fall prey to deceptive and demonic teachings. Chapter 6, verse 21, Paul continues this idea. He says not to fall prey to what he says is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wondered from their faith. Now, to wonder means to deviate. So what Paul's trying to say is there are people and there will be more people who will deviate from their faith. They may completely leave their faith and that's going to end up resulting in the shipwrecked effect, and it's going to shipwreck their faith. And so what Paul's trying to say is, don't do that. Instead, hold on to your faith with everything that you have. As most of you know, 
I've got five grandchildren. The oldest one is six. So it's a bunch of preschoolers. So I'm constantly playing with preschoolers. And so we've got a bunch of preschool toys. And what I've learned about all of them, the girls included, is when they're building stuff, they love to demolish it. They just love to destroy stuff. And you think it was just the guys, the girls like it too. I will say that the guys are a little bit more intense with it. Um, they really enjoyed, the, and I, don't, I think guys never grow out of that. Man, I think that's why we like demo day so much, because we just get to tear up stuff. But a lot of times, they'll build these elaborate edifices out of these little blocks. But as soon as they get, get it built, you can see in their eye immediately, their goal is to destroy it. And so one of them... That's exactly what they'll do. They start laughing, they start giggling, they have a good time, and they immediately come and they stack, restack it, and it won't be up for five seconds, and they come back, and it's just a constant, let's build it, and let's tear it down. Well, the other thing they do a lot is they have these uh, little Legos, and so they'll build these elaborate, really weird-looking automobiles and vehicles. But then the very first thing they do, guess what? They don't just push it around. They've got to push it into something. It's, that's what they do every time. And they'll start laughing and giggling and they'll pick it up and they'll spend 10 or 15 minutes building something and take about two seconds to destroy it. But they get a kick out of that. And when I was watching that and thinking about that, I'm thinking this is exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage. In this journey of faith, as we are walking in faith, there are some that when they encounter something, when they run into something, or if something runs into them, it causes them to deviate from their faith or to abandon their faith. It causes them to shipwreck their faith because they start to leave the faith and they begin to put it in something different than God. Now, these things that we encounter or these things that encounter us, it can be varied. It could be in the form of tribulation where the enemy is attacking us and coming against us. Could be in the form of testing or trials where God is, is allowing certain things to help grow us and to mature us in the faith. It could be in the form of temptation where our, our flesh is just rising up and, and wanting to do our own thing. It could be in less traumatic things. It could just be in our daily choices. Am I going to, to, to believe what God's word says or am I gonna believe what the world says? is truth. Am I going to do what God wants me to do, or am I just going to do what I want to do? Am I going to, to put my faith in God's will and God's way and God's word, or am I just going to kind of believe whatever's out there? It, doesn't, it, it takes a, a variety of forms, but here's the essence of what Paul's saying, is in life, when you encounter these things, you've taking this time to build your life, and all of a sudden, in a heartbeat, something comes against it, what are you going to do? Paul says some people leave or deviate from their faith, and the result is, is shipwreck. It's, it's disaster. It's ruins. But what Paul is saying is don't do that. Instead, you hold on to your faith with everything that's going on. In the midst of whatever is going on in your life, you hold on to your faith. So my question is that I have to ask is, why? Why do we hold on to faith? What's so great about faith 
that we should hang on to it in the midst of all these types of encounters? Well, let me give you four reasons. Let me give you four aspects of faith of why we should hold on to it. I just want to say in advance, you ought to be thanking me this morning because when I started studying this, I had 12. (laughs) And I didn't think you'd want to sit here for 12. So I've reduced it to four. You're welcome. (laughs) Here's the first one. We hold on to the faith because faith is truth-rooted. Our faith in God is truth-rooted. In chapter 4, verse 6, Paul makes this statement in a phrase. He says that brought up in the truths of the faith, that we've been brought up in the truths of the faith. The context here is that some now are believing lies. They're believing false doctrines. Uh, They're believing false teachings. And because they're believing these falsehoods, they've abandoned their faith. They've begun to believe lies, and since they're believing lies, now they've deviated from the truth. So they're no longer standing on the truth. They're standing on lies, and because of that, it's shipwrecking their faith, if you will. What this tells me about faith is, number one, that faith is not the key. The object of our faith is the key. Faith simply means to trust in, to rely on, to depend upon, to lean on. It literally means to put all your weight on. So for example, if I really believe that this wall is going to hold me, my trust is demonstrated because I'll just put all my weight on it and I know it's going to hold me. Now I could do the same thing with this microphone, but I'm not going to. Why? Because it's not going to hold me. And what Paul is saying is, you can have faith in this microphone that it's going to hold me, but it's not going to happen. My faith doesn't matter because the object of the faith is not strong enough. So what this is telling us here is our faith in God is is truth-rooted. It's grounded so that when we put all of our weight on him, he holds us. Our faith in God is a faith in the all-knowing one, in the all-powerful one in the all-wise one. We're putting faith in God's faithfulness, in God's power, in God's wonder, in God's plan, in God's word. It's rooted and grounded in truth. It's a firm foundation, just like that uh, parable that we talked about with with the foundations. Our faith is in that immovable rock that will not be destroyed when all the events strike us. Our faith is in the one in Philippians 3.21. It says that he has everything within his control. When we place our faith in God, we're placing our faith in the one who has every single thing under his control. And there's no surprises. None of these encounters in life take him by surprise. He has it all under control. And if we'll hold on to our faith in the midst of those life events, we're holding on to the one who has it under control. So that's the first reason we hold on to it. It's because it's truth-rooted. Here's the second one. The faith is life-transforming. When we hold on to our faith in God, it's life-transforming. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, most of us know this as the faith chapter. If you want to really know a lot about faith, just read Hebrews 11 a bunch, and you'll learn something new every time you read it. But in verse 31, it says that by faith... The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, we remember we're introduced to Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. 
When Joshua is about to enter the promised land, sends some spies into Jericho to scope it out and to spy it out, Rahab's the one that welcomes the spies, hides the spies, aids the spies as they're doing what they're doing. And it says here that Rahab is a prostitute. Now, there have been some interpreters through the Old Testament and New that have said, no, she was an innkeeper. Uh, and I don't know why they do that other than maybe they're trying to soften her character, I don't know, but the Greek word here is porne, which we get pornography from, from, which literally is talking about prostitution. So she obviously is a prostitute. That's not the point. The point is her faith, what it was in, who it was in, and what was the result of her faith. It says, verse 31, by faith. What's implied here is by faith in God. What did she do? She welcomed the spies. In other words, she demonstrated her faith by welcoming the spies. And because she did that, she was spared. Now, Rahab had a choice in this encounter. Rahab could have put her faith in something else. She could have put her faith in the leadership of Jericho and said, when the army comes, they're going to do the right thing. They're either going to surrender or they're going to negotiate or they're going to repent. Somehow, they're going to stem off the war. She could have put her trust in the army of Jericho, thinking the army of Jericho will defeat the army of Israel. She could have put her faith in herself and said, I'm just going to grab all my stuff and all my family, and we're just going to flee, and we're going to set up life somewhere else. But she didn't. She put all of her faith in God. But as a result, she was spared. But not only was she spared, her life was transformed because in Matthew chapter 1, she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She marries Solomon, a prince in the tribe of Judah. They have a son, Boaz, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So not only is her life spared, but her life is transformed. She goes from being a prostitute to being a princess. How? Because of the faith that she placed in her God. The same is true for us. The reason we hold on to faith is because faith in God is life transforming. It moves us from death to life, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom, from brokenness to wholeness, from weakness to strength, from enmity with God to friendship with God. It radically transforms us. It makes us holy. It makes us worthy. It makes us like Christ. It conforms us to the image of Christ. When we put our faith in God, what he does during that relationship and that expression in our faith. He, he shapes us and he forms us into the image of Christ and he transforms who we are from the inside out. But the opposite's true. If we shipwreck our faith, we also shipwreck this transformation process that he wants to continue to do in our life. So he says, hold on to our faith. Why? Because it's truth-rooted and it's life-transforming. Here's the third one. It's enemy-defeating. Our faith in God is enemy-defeating. In Ephesians chapter 6, many of you will know this chapter well. It's the, the last part of it talks about the, the armor of God, our spiritual armor. And as he kind of walks through and itemizes the armor, he gets to verse 16 of Ephesians 6. And he says, in addition to all this, in other words, in addition to all these pieces of armor that I've just talked about, in addition to that, 
Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up this shield, it's called faith, and the reason you take it up is because it will extinguish every flaming dart that's gonna come your way. In other words, it defeats the enemy. It's our faith that brings the shield and defends us against the attack of the enemy. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's a, a really cool story. Uh, it's probably an unfamiliar story maybe to a lot of you. But it's the story of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And it says in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 20 that Jehoshaphat was told that a vast army was coming against him from Edom. So in verse 4, it says that the people came together and they began to seek help from the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat comes and stands before the people and he prays. And he prays a, a fairly lengthy prayer. And in verse 12, he ends the prayer by saying, O oh, our God, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Here's this vast army coming to attack. And he prays, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes, they're upon you. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in that kind of situation where you're feeling attacked, something's going on, and you say, I have no idea what I'm going to do. But he said, my eyes are on you. Translation, my faith is on you. Here's the truth. When, when, when what we see looks hopeless, when what we see looks ominous, when the attack is coming, when the storm is coming, and all these events take place that are going to come against us, and we have no idea how to handle this. What do we do? We do what Jehoshaphat did. You keep your eyes on him. You keep holding on to that faith. In verse 20, after Jehoshaphat receives an encouraging word from a Levite, Jehoshaphat stands in front of the people and he says, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. So we see the picture here of Jehoshaphat. Now he's praying. He's praying to the Lord. God, I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to keep holding on. That's all, that's all I know how to do. I'm just going to keep holding on. But now that's shifted to a confident proclamation. Have faith in God, and he will uphold us. And then he does something really cool. He assembles a praise team. He assembles a worship team. And this worship team goes out before the army. They lead the way. They lead the charge in worship. There's a great truth right here for us. When life is hammering you, when you're in a situation, you don't know what to do. All you can do is hold on desperately with your faith. The thing you need to do is you just start worshiping. You start singing. Why do you think Peter and Paul and Silas, when they're in prison, what did they do? They prayed and they sang. They prayed and they worshiped. The two greatest offensive weapons that we have are prayer and our worship. And so he leads this group out in worship. When we come to church corporately on Sunday mornings, why do you think we sing? Why do you think we have worship? It's not just a prelim for the preaching. <laughs> it's not the undercard for the main event. 
okay? It's not just, I'm just gonna kind of chill out until the message starts. It is power. It is leading the charge into battle. It is defeating the enemy. When you go through those times when you're depressed and you feel beaten down and you feel weak and you feel hopeless and you feel helpless and you feel like the spirits left you and you don't know what's going on, you feel like you're drained spiritually, what should you do? Just start worshiping. Just start singing. Just start shouting and praising and praying and, and worshiping the Lord. Why? Because that's leading the charge and it defeats the enemy. In Jehoshaphat's story, they lead the charge, and God gives them victory over the Edomites. And it's the faith of Jehoshaphat and the faith of the people that win the victory and shield them from the enemy attack. That brings us back to Ephesians chapter 6. The shield of faith. Our faith is that shield. Our faith is that defense mechanism. It's our faith that stops the attack, that puts out the destructive potential, that eliminates the threat. The passage here said it's able to extinguish all of the arrows, even the ones designed for the most damage, the flaming ones that they would light and shoot so it would burn everybody and, every, and everyone that attacked, even the most severe type of encounters and struggles. Our faith stops it and puts it out. Our faith is the frontline defense against the accusations, against the condemnation, and against the temptations that the enemy wants to fire at you and fire at you, fire at you. Here's a truth to remember. Abandon your faith and the enemy's arrows will cut straight to your heart because there's nothing stopping it. Abandon your faith and you will fall into temptations. You will believe the accusations and you will find life full of condemnation. That's why Paul says, hold on to your faith because faith is that thing that helps us resist the enemy's attack. So when the temptations come, when the accusations come, when the condemnation comes from the enemy, it's our faith in God that says, no, none of that's true. And it acts as the shield that protects us. So that's the third reason we hold on to our faith. It's because our faith is in God. It defeats the enemy. Why? Because he's already defeated the enemy. And we're just walking in the victory that he's already won for us. And here's the fourth reason. Hold on to your faith because it's works producing. Our faith is works producing. In James chapter 2, we know the book of James talks a lot about faith and works and how the two uh, interconnect with one another. In James chapter 2, verse 20, James says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, 
Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's, God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, this last phrase has been misinterpreted and misread by many when it says that we're justified by what he does, but not by faith alone. That they, try to, they, they try to use this as a proof text that we're saved by works, that we're saved by faith and by works. That's not at all what James is communicating here because we know Scripture is very clear that we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone could boast. We are saved by grace through faith alone. This is what, not what this is saying. All that James is saying here is that there's a connection between faith and works. And true faith produces works. Real faith produces work. A vibrant faith in God results in works. In other words, when I walk by faith, that relationship that I have with faith, it propels me into action. It's my faith that empowers me to do works. It's my faith that gives me the motivation and the power and the freedom and the strength to step out and do something, to speak out and say something, to stand out and be something. It's what allows us to really be salt and light and an ambassador for Christ, and a minister of reconciliation, to engage the world, which is part of our vision statement, that we engage the world. It's our faith in God that gives us that inner strength and desire and willingness to actually go out into the world where it is hard, where it can be dangerous, where it can be difficult, where you can face rejection. But the reason we're able to go out there, part of it is the love that we have for Christ and for people. But the other part is our faith that says he's got it all under control. And because of what he's doing, it's, it's going to propel me out into the world and do works and to live out my faith in the world. If we shipwreck our faith, we shipwreck that desire for engagement. And we become just this little clan in here that forgets about the world. And stops to engage, stops engaging with them. Back to my preschool toys. What's interesting, I've done this enough now with, with all the grandkids. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen anytime we get together to play. They're gonna build something and they're gonna tear it up. It's just gonna happen. And it's a truth for life. For every one of us, tribulation is going to happen. Testings are going to come. Trials are going to come. Temptations are going to happen. For every one of us, we have multiple decisions every day. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust myself? Am I going to do it his way? Am I going to do it my way? Am I going to believe God? Am I going to believe the world? It's all going to come. We can't get out of it. It's going to happen. So we have to make the decision. When those type of life encounters and events happen, what am I going to do? Paul says, don't experience the shipwrecked effect. Don't let those encounters cause you for some reason to deviate from the truth and believe lies, to leave the faith and say, hi, ah, it's not worth it. Instead, you keep holding on with everything that you've got. 
because when you do, you'll see how he will grow your faith and he will strengthen your faith and he'll do amazing things in the midst of you and through you and for you as you hold on to your faith. Here's the final note I'll leave with you this morning. Nothing is strong enough to take your faith. Nothing is powerful enough. No one is able to take your faith from you. The only way you can lose your faith is to let it go. Is to open your hands and just let it go. Because as long as you hold on to your faith, no one can take it from you. So what Paul is saying is, don't let go. You keep holding on and see what God does in your life. May we be a people of faith. We invite us to pray together. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.